Welcome to the Sendcast. My name is Dale Pickles. I'm the Managing Director of B Squared and the host of the Sendcast, the special needs podcast. Each week we'll be talking about a different topic within the world of special educational needs to improve our knowledge, to provide support to professionals working in schools and to empower parents. In this, our second Corona bonus episode, our guest is Jane Friswell. Jane is one of the legends of the SEM world who has seen lots of good practice, but also bad practice. Jane supports schools and authorities to turn things around and provide the right support for students. Moving on from last week's bonus episode, this week we're looking at what life looks like at home and how families can support their children during this time. But before I get started, I'm going to mention the Virtual Send Conference. This is a conference we started running in 2009 that makes CPD around SEND more affordable and easier to access. It runs twice a year over the internet, but you can watch the videos whenever you need to. For more information, visit www.virtualsendconference.com. And at the end of the episode, I'll be giving you a discount code so you can save some money when you purchase access. Now on with the podcast. This week's show is discussing how parents can better support their children at home. In the last week, we have gone from a few pupils not being in school due to self-isolation to now under 5% of pupils in schools. With this being very close to a lockdown, nearly all families will be adjusting to children being at home instead of school. And for parents of children with SEND, there can be lots of challenges. I am here with Jane Friswell. Jane is an educational consultant who is hugely experienced in a range of areas all around SEND. And is one of those people you can fire any question at and she will have an answer for you with lots of support information. Jane is one of those people who's on my speed dial list when it comes to SEN. Welcome to the show, Jane. Thanks, Dale. Good to be with you. Cool. So this is our first podcast. We're recording remotely. So uh, Jane is at home and I'm here. Why don't you tell everyone about what you do, Jane, and all your experience? Well, I'm an independent SEND consultant with over 35 years of teaching and leadership, uh, including executive leadership experience within education, primarily um, SEND and primarily within the special school sector. And I suppose bringing that to the Sencast today, Dale, means that I can provide an insight both from a professional perspective, but also parentally as well. I'm a parent of a young person with additional needs, and I'm also a part, part-time carer of a young lady, my younger sister, um, who has severe learning disabilities too. So I have a, a number of fingers in a number of different pies, which hopefully will provide quite uh, an interesting uh, view on the challenges that we are now faced with as a parent carer population in supporting our children during the COVID-19 school closure period. So also you're a chair of governors. You, you see it from more or less every angle. Yeah, yeah. I'm a governor of a primary school that's highly challenged. Um, um, I sit on a number of uh, various boards of national organisations that are either have a social change agenda for inclusion or for SEND. I'm the former chief exec of uh, NASEN, the National Association for Special Educational Needs. But primarily, I'm a practitioner, you know, so I've I've always taken a very pragmatic view of how can we do our absolute level best to provide the best quality provision and support for our children and their families who have special educational needs and or disabilities. So primarily, I consider myself to be a practitioner. So with everything going on, it's hard to know where to start. There have mm. been lots of changes. There's going to be lots of changes coming, lots to think about. 
Um, we are all still a bit shell-shocked, trying to work out what to do, all doing our best. Schools are providing lots of support to parents and families, lots of things to do. There are lots of resources, online activities, online PE sessions, online dance sessions. There's lots of things they can do. But where should parents start? I think that the starting point is to recognise that actually, as parents and carers, we know our children better than anyone. So actually being in the position of being the main educator is not really a role that we wouldn't necessarily recognise as parents and carers. We're doing that every day of our lives um, with our children. So we are the prime educators of, of our children. So they learn the good stuff and the not so good stuff from us, which is why, you know, I often observe in my own daughter, who's in year nine, almost operating at times as a bit of a mini me. Um, and that's both endearing, but it's also pretty grounding as well for me as her parent. And it enables me to sort of self-check at times how well I'm modelling those behaviours and attitudes I'd like to positively influence her with. So with that knowledge of knowing that we're the prime educators of our kids comes responsibility. So we need to be much more aware now, given that we're at home all day, every day for an indeterminate period at the moment with our children, we have the opportunity to be uh, in a position, a great position or a greater position of influence. But equally, we need to have a greater level of awareness of how that will impact on our children's ability to learn. I think it is important, however you're feeling, you've got to protect your children because they, they, they copy what you do. The old, um, there's an advert I think, for smoking and things like that mm -hmm. where you see an, a child walking along doing something. Like, where have they got that from? And you, it pans out and the adult's doing the same. And it's the same with this, uh, with Corona. If you're worried, that's going to get passed on to your children. So you've got to hide that worry. You've got to do it at a sensible level. You have to do the right thing. You've got to be making sure you're washing your hands. You're doing all the stuff the government's telling you to do so your children see that. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It's got much wider than that. And it is making sure, as you said, you're giving the right signals to your children and your family. Yeah. And that largely focuses around behaviours and attitudes. And I think that's particularly important for children who have a level of learning challenge themselves. So a level of learning difficulty or has an identified special educational need and or disability, because there's going to be a learning difference that is going to come into sharper focus for parents and carers now regarding their own children, that they will be seeing the impact of those learning differences for longer periods of time in lots of different, a range of different situations, particularly if there is a, a much more formal approach being taken to um, how their children learn and supporting their education uh, within a home setting. So that's different. That's going to feel different. It's going to look different both for parents and carers and, uh, importantly, for children and young people too. And difference can be welcomed, can be embraced, but can also bring its own challenges too. And I think, you know, first and foremost, I want to state I am a qualified teacher and have been for the last nearly 35 years. However, you know, if you ask any one of my kids, then they would feel that that is a huge, huge disadvantage in these particular times for those of them that are still accessing education, of course, because not all of them are. But nevertheless, you know, not all parents are teachers like me. So actually supporting your child's learning may not be something that you feel that you have a natural tendency to do. 
I would argue most sincerely for all the parents and carers that I've worked with over the last 30 odd years, they are their prime educators. They know their children better than anyone. And actually supporting your children's learning isn't really re-establishing school in your living room or dining room. It's actually about learning and supporting one another. And just a big thing on that is, as you know your children the best, you will generally have the best engagement with them. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and it's about the reliance on those wonderful qualities that parents and children have in engaging with one another. And it's about investing in the quality of that relationship in a slightly different context now so that children are no longer going to school at the moment, but necessarily there will be an aspect of their day, not necessarily all day, or certain times of the day that parents and carers and children want to be able to support their child's learning in a way that says this is our focus and this is what it's going to look like. And that's going to take some days, possibly some weeks in some circumstances, to really get that routine going and feel like you're getting something well established. There you mentioned routine, and I think for a lot of people, especially some of those with autism, is routine is important. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely, without doubt. And and most parents of children with an autism diagnosis, and you know, I include myself in that, will understand that scheduling is a really important part and a very important and effective strategy in managing time and a really good approach to uh, teaching and learning for children with autism. So by scheduling, what we mean is simply an organisation approach to the way in which we manage time and how we can manage expectations alongside that. So, you know, if we know what's coming next, then actually that's quite reassuring. It, it calms us. It actually reduces that level of anxiety in any human being to know what we can expect is going to happen next. You often hear the phrase, don't you? You know, it's the not knowing that is the worrying part in, in any particular situation. So um, a little bit of knowledge is a really empowering factor in how we plan our time. So scheduling or actually setting up a routine is going to be incredibly important to provide some sense of structure for the entire family, but particularly for children with additional needs whose parents are supporting them at home. I've seen lots of things on social media, some advocating timetables and some saying, don't worry about timetables, just let your children relax, let them just be free and be happy and it's like actually for some of them to be happy it will require that schedule it will give some sorts of a new normality yeah that's right it, it will do it and I think again whatever daily plan or whatever your daily plan looks like and I can outline one of those in a few minutes the the objective there is about keeping you as a parent carer and your child or children focused productive and positive in these unprecedented times. So that isn't about, you know, having a, a timetable which would be not that dissimilar from a school timetable, but maybe having um, your day organised in chunks uh, and manageable chunks of time, which will be very relevant and meaningful to your particular child. So a child, for example, that has a, a, a highly complex level of need where there may be some additional health challenges involved there, then primarily the child has to be well in order to receive any educational support. So in that particular family circumstance, I wouldn't be at all surprised to see healthcare needs coming first as a priority over educational needs. That isn't to say that the child's denied educational learning opportunities, quite the contrary, but they need to be well. So primarily, given the circumstances, we'd be looking at maintaining health, 
physical health, uh, mental health and emotional well-being for all of our children before any learning challenges or learning opportunities are, are facilitated in the home. Definitely the big ones is mental health is a really big issue for the children and for the parent, the whole family. So yeah. it's making sure what you're doing doesn't have an impact on your mental health. Mm-hmm. Now, there's some situations that's going to be very hard, but that's what the main priority is going to be your mental health, the physical health, mm-hmm. and then everything else comes second. So when you look at any, and I'm sure you'll come on to this, resources, things you access from school, anything, you've got to balance up the risk. To me, physical health and mental health is the biggest priority. Everything else comes second. Yeah, and I think it's also about managing expectations, Dale, as well. I think it's about, you know, what typically can we expect from our children in our home environments? Because if we take the example that we used earlier of a child with an autism diagnosis, in my experience, you know, my child behaved and performed very differently within a school environment compared to home. So home was where you know, all the covers were off, the meltdowns occurred. It was almost as though he'd contained himself all day. He'd followed masses and masses of rules and and arrangements and had been mindful of all of those arrangements, but that had taken an enormous amount of emotional energy and concentration and focus. So of course by the time he got home, all the gloves were off and and it was it was an opportunity to just free himself of that. So um, that's why we often hear about kids having meltdowns when they when they get home. So it's quite difficult, I think, for some cohorts of children who may have very specific needs. And here we're talking about children uh, with needs identified on the autism spectrum, for example, um, to to make that distinction between what happens in school stays in school and what happens in home stays in home. Now we're asking children in these very unusual and unprecedented circumstances under the COVID-19 arrangements that actually home has become sort of school, really. So that's going to be quite challenging, I think, for some of our youngsters, particularly those uh, with needs that may feature on the autism spectrum. You're going to have children who are not challenged at home as much because it is that release, it is that calming I've had a hard day at school. I just want to be home and relaxed. Mm. Actually, some of that challenge will be coming in, and it's it's knowing how far to push that. It is knowing how how much structure there should be, and that comes down to knowing your child again. Yeah, and I think it's also about being clear as a parent carer about what your intentions are, and being clear about your expectations. And those expectations, if we set those and review those almost every morning, every afternoon with some of our children with additional needs, I I think it's reasonable. I think it's reasonable that if we're going to be introducing children to a new structural routine, then it's absolutely imperative and helpful to set clear expectations and to discuss what, you know, what's good going to look like out of this situation? You know, how will I know if I'm going to be successful in what you're asking me to do? So I think that's where things like daily tasks uh, uh, lists or checklists to to really map out a schedule or a timetable that everyone can buy into and understand can be really helpful. So you may or may not agree with this, but my children have signed a corona contract. <laughs> well, I haven't seen the contract, so I can't really comment on that. But I can understand why you're not you're not the only parent that's that's uh, shared that information with me. It's, it's it's not huge amounts. It is during the week you will be up 
dressed, washed, teeth brushed, all of that by 8.30. Mm. And there is some school work. There is stuff set by the school. And then we've got some other activities. But in the middle of that is there's exercise. There's uh, having time with your sister. There is socializing with friends. There's lots of things in there. So there is some school stuff, mm. but there is lots of other stuff. And I think that helps them see that, yes, if you do this, but you will also get this. And we've allowed time for this. It's not a case of friends start at the end of the day. Because mm. actually children do have time in lessons with friends. They have break times. They have lunch times. They have the walks to school, the walk home from school. There's a lot of social interaction, mm. which they're missing out on. Yeah. So it's important for us to make sure that was included throughout the day. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, the the whole notion of feeling isolated in your own home is is pretty clear from the government's arrangements for all of us now to remain in our own homes and to be restricted in in how we operate, not just in terms of um, how long we stay in our own homes, but also at the restrictions that apply when actually leaving your own home and and the, the those restrictions being very very clear and uh, and also minimising the amount of social contact anybody can have these days. So I think you're right to to look at the balance of the um, opportunities that children potentially are missing out on. And that's where technology can be great. You know, we, we as a family, we're using Zoom a lot, the meetings app. Um, one of the tasks um, for one of my kids this week was to set up an online quiz. And that was a, a friends and family request, different hosts for different evenings. There'll be different themes for the quiz, but it invites people to take part. Uh, and it also means that we've got some face-to-face contact as well over the, you know, the virtual airways, as it were. So I think you're right to to recognise where potentially there's going to be deficiencies in our typical daily lives that parents and carers are going to need to recognise and maybe think about how we top those up, how we how we rebalance. There is lots of tech out there. So we've actually just purchased an Alexa show uh, for an aunt and uncle. So we're not going to see them now for a while, but actually with that, uh, we have shows at home and that way we can drop in on each other. So we can have that um, visual, not just on the end of the phone. We can all see each other and that's great. And there's also, there's all the um, Facebook Messenger, has Mm. video messaging, WhatsApp, most Mm. systems, there's lots different. And you can have six, seven, nine, ten people all together Mm. socializing and it's great. And sometimes, especially when you have anxiety, it's making sure that the communication isn't the primary reason. So yeah. when we think of Lego therapy, it's kind of a distraction. Mm. So when you're doing things like this, as Jane says, is having a quiz. Mm. The quiz is the main thing. How you're communicating is part of that. So don't make the communication. Chat to your friend for two hours. That can be really intimidating for people. So it's actually going, what can you do together? Mm. Um, uh, have you heard of Kahoot, Jane? Yes, I have, yeah. Mm. So Kahoot is a great online game you can do. So there's lots of quizzes. You can create your own quizzes, but you all basically use your phone as on the TVs, you have the multi-choice questions. Mm. Your phone becomes that button. So on your phone, you have A, B, C, or D. First to answer, the quickest to answer, and you get a score at the end. So that makes life a lot of fun. And there's Harry Potter quizzes. There's lots of quizzes you can access for free. But also there is a a website called Netflix Party. Mm. And the idea is a group of people can all have joined a group. I'm not quite sure how it's worked. I've seen it and it sounds great. And basically you can all pick a film and it will synchronize that film. 
So you can all be at home watching the same film together, but you can sit there and talk about the film as you're watching. So again, mm. it's not making that communication the main aim. It's mm. you're watching a film with friends. You just don't happen to be with them. Yeah, tech is big. And I think we've also got to remember that we now operate in the world of access technology. So many of our children and young people through their education, be it in mainstream or be it within specialist provisions, will have a field of experience where they've been introduced and maybe using on a regular daily basis access technology. Now, if parents find that they don't have that access to the the technology that their children are are using on a daily basis, and it could be something as simplistic as a big switch, then they need to be connecting up with their child's school to ensure that that technology can then be provided at home. So I'm aware of schools that have got loan systems in place where uh, regular sort of tech reviews are taking place virtually, but also face-to-face as well in a child's home. So we want to keep that learning going, you know, whilst school is closed. But really importantly, that's often one of the few vehicles or means in how some of our children can actually affect their own environment, can actually communicate their particular needs even if that's on a simple yes-no basis. So making choices and keeping your ability to make your choice and to affect your immediate environment and to express that very simplistic level of opinion is incredibly important for our children with additional and complex needs. Um, So I would be mindful of that, both as a school provider, but also as a receiver of the support that school can offer uh, on behalf of your child when you're, uh, you know, you're supporting your child as a parent and carer at home. Yeah, it is making sure that it's, it's not being able to express yourself um, can cause lots of other issues afterwards. So it's making sure they can still do that. There are lots of differences between school and home. We've talked about how pupils will display different behaviours at home and at school. But there's also there's things your child does at school you might not be aware of. Yeah. Um, so again, it's what does your child do at school? Are there stuff you don't know? And making sure, again, communication with your school is going to be crucial in this. Absolutely. And Dale, many, many schools operate on a communication passport or a person-centred passport uh, arrangement. So there should be a document that, uh, and this often travels with children around their school every day. So parents, carers and families should be familiar with this because this is a very much a, a, of a person-centred nature and approach that, you know, many, many of our really good schools operate to now. Um, where in a nutshell, on a, on a page of A4, it will be a personalised description of how best to communicate with me, you know, um, what I like, what I dislike, you know, what people like and admire about me, how to get the best out of me, and and what I need from you in order to ensure that I can continue to be an effective communicator. So even better if. So all of that information is usually contained in that one document. Um, so having access to that uh, will be really helpful for families because what that document also does is it talks about the arrangements necessary to enable uh, those outcomes that I've just uh, briefly described from, say, a pupil passport document to be maximised, to be met. So um, so make, making sure that you've got that clear understanding of what your child is currently focused on in terms of their learning, be that an aspect of their communication, be it an aspect of their personal social development, 
uh, you will need that context for learning to ensure that they continue to to develop in that way. And it's it's making sure it's again it's knowing your child. But if you have this passport and it's saying a child is able to do this and they like doing that, again that might be in a school context when they're supported in a different way. And sometimes yeah. as a parent, as you said, being a teacher and being a parent are two very different things. Yeah. And for those who are both their children, as you said, they don't always like it. Yeah. <laughs> they get home from school well with another teacher. I know. So it is, it's it's not about parents, it's not about becoming a teacher. Not at all. It's not about between nine and three or however time I am a teacher, but after three I'm a parent. It's about always being a parent. It's yeah. about being on your child's side, supporting them. That's right, that's right. And it's also about keeping that authenticity going you know I mean this is a challenging time for all of us so whilst many parents are struggling to cope with the closure of schools of their local school for their child the challenges are far more complex and intense and demanding for families who have children with disabilities so you know whilst I know that most good schools will do, will be developing and providing materials and the means for parents to continue to have their children learn while they're at home. We also need to have a, a greater appreciation and understanding that before we can even get to that point of thinking that there can be a continuance of learning at home, then actually this is about managing a pretty significant transition for a significant proportion of our school populations. So things have shifted, things have changed, not just for us as parents and carers, but significantly for our children and young people. So actually thinking about the routine, the routine may be different, but actually trying to align your routine in as much as possible to the expectations that simply attending school on a school day might look like. So in terms of timings, what time you get up in the morning, the steps that you take to get ready, et cetera, et cetera, um, you know, is is important. And I think we'll provide some really important hooks and links for our more vulnerable and challenged youngsters to hold on to so that at least there's some familiarity around uh, managing that change process. I think it's important to remember there are lots of resources coming from schools. There's uh, lots of organisations like Twinkle, Lorraine mm-hmm. uh, mentioned Chatterbox mm-hmm. or Chatterpack, I think, previously. Yeah. Schools are sending out lots of stuff. But there's more to life than a piece of paper or an activity on an iPad. There's lots of other skills children are getting in schools which may not be the main focus of an activity, but they're all skills your child is learning as they go through all the school their school life yeah and I think for for us you know from where I'm coming from Dale today is that we have to have an appreciation that we all like structure and I'm sure anyone who's listening to this podcast will recognize that having access to online learning materials and resources is is a real positive but also I hope that they are relevant and meaningful for their child to access at home. The two don't necessarily go hand in hand. Yeah. So I think there's a, you know, there, there could be a tendency for parents and carers to think that because schools have generated and probably generating an enormous amount of learning material and, and resource, 
for parents and carers to access on behalf of their children, particularly children with special educational needs, um, then there is then an expectation that that will be completed. That isn't the case. Yeah. That that no. really shouldn't be the case at all. Um, so so for me, I would much prefer that parents and carers use those learning materials and resources to inspire um, some uh, activities that are relevant and meaningful for their children, who they know best of all. Uh, and maybe those uh, learning and materials, some of those learning and materials and resources may well be completed or may well be uh, utilised in a, in a meaningful and relevant way and, and in the way that schools intended them to be used. That's great. That's a bonus. But I think the most important thing is that parents don't feel that they are constricted or restricted by um, the learning materials resource machine that might necessarily uh, uh, be expected for them to access and to report on on a daily, weekly uh, basis that it's been completed. Because there are, I think we just, every day there's something new from someone else. Uh, David Walliams doing his free uh, books each day. Audible's got free books, all these three things. You've got to pick and choose what is right for your child, how much. I know parents are sitting there going, right, this is English time, do this worksheet. That's not always the best thing. Well, well, it's not. It's not not when, say, a passive physiotherapy program needs to be undertaken every day uh, or morning and afternoon where lunch might actually take an hour and a half uh, because of the, the level of skill and support and nurturing a child might require either through, you know, having limited physical capability to feed themselves or there might be some gastro uh, issues there or swallowing uh, issues there or simply that they don't want to eat their lunch at a time where, you know, mum or dad or, you know, uh, aunt or uncle are, are saying, well, now is the time for lunch. So uh, so I think we just need to be really, really um um, appreciative of the inbuilt flexibility that our our daily tasks approach to life needs to better understand. So in terms of sort of setting those clear expectations and almost reviewing them uh, day by day or uh, morning, afternoon, whatever that looks like, um, having an expectation of what your daily tasks are likely to be to map out in a schedule or a timetable or whatever you're going to or whatever you're going to call it is is a really good tool for assessing yourself really both as a learner so for your child but also as a parent because you're going to need feedback from your child and children on how that's going so you know so there's lots of tools and mechanisms by which parents can ask their children to indicate whether they had enough support to complete a task or it wasn't engaging enough so that whole aspect of self-assessment goes hand in hand with the daily tasks that we're expecting children to complete, um, either in line with the advice uh, or inspired by the advice from school or um, inspired and introduced through parents and parents knowing, knowing their, their, their children uh, well and personalising um, the, the tasks to suit learning at home. So I think there's a there's a bit of a troubleshooting angle there, isn't there, really, that you've got to be prepared to make adjustments um, as and when. And we've talked about health and whether you are well enough for learning um, as, as, as a learner. That's important. So you, you will need to make those adjustments. And parents and carers are the best people in the world 
to make those adjustments because actually they do that all of the time. So from a learning perspective, this really isn't any different to the the day-to-day life situations that parents face and the challenges that they manage at home um, where they're constantly adjusting and adapting and self-assessing all the time. You know, how did that go? Um, What does that look like for my child? Um, Am I going to repeat that? Am I going to try and do that differently? Um, And and how, how was it for you? So following on from that is is about the expectation that we need to support our children in making some really good choices in how they learn so for example you know if i gave the, the or provided the opportunity to sit in front of netflix for half a day uh, 5 days a week for my 13 year old daughter i'm pretty certain she'd make that choice to sit in front of netflix now Netflix has its place in her life. You know, if she wants to uh, uh, watch a film, et cetera, et cetera, or follow a particular uh, story that that Netflix has captured her interest with, then I respect that. However, we also need to be thinking about the choices that they make around their learning can actually lead to some real rapid acceleration uh, in their behaviour. So that's about motivating children. That's about empowering children by maybe out writing out some behaviour goals. You talked about your contract with your children, you know, a corona contract. Um, that's actually about empowering children to think in an I can way, you know, that I can follow my timetable. I can ask for help when I need it. Um, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a what we're doing is providing a place for our children to check with us as parents and carers about whether they've met the expectation or not. And more importantly, there's a place for them to reflect on how well that went. And that is really important. That's really powerful learning going on there because what we're we're saying to our kids in managing their learning in that way is that we're promoting independence in the way in which they learn. And actually they're, they're they're growing an understanding of how or what type of learner they recognize themselves to be this thing it's not about english or maths there's that's not how learning is split up no it's about learning behaviors isn't it it's it's not just simply as a parent and carer creating a learning space for your child setting up a timetable and telling them to get on with it you know there's actually a whole lot more um the, the 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 layers of the preparation for learning and the layers that parents will peel back in their relationship as they begin to better understand how their children learns and how best and what constitutes the best environment for learning. Um, So what are the conditions? What are the conditions that look like good for my child? Um, And how best can can they learn in that sort of environment? Um, Is is really, really important. It's not just the what, um, you know, in terms of the product, the outcome. The process also has... um, equal value for, for many, many of our, of our children. So if we're thinking about a schedule, a timetable, and then almost like a, a bit of a behavior check, if you like, to be clear about our expectations, um, then actually we're going to need to um, divide our time now in the morning, in the afternoon, and, and divide it down again and start to compartmentalize what that morning is going to look like. So is it from 10 o'clock till 12 that we're going to have an academic focus? 
and the focus is going to be on English and maths, or maybe it's going to be on um, knowledge and understanding. It's going to be on the development and, and practicing of early communication skills. Um, maybe it's going to be uh, looking at the use and application of pecs in, in a new environment, maybe in the garden, maybe in their bedroom, maybe in the bathroom, you know, where, whatever looks like a really good fit for your child. Um, that academic learning time focus can actually give you some real shape to your day and more importantly is going to become expected. It's going to be part of that set of expectations that we're bringing into the home that children will uh, better understand over time. So with, you know, so much going on in our lives, uh, whether we're in isolation or not, getting our kids to sit down with the iPad or Netflix or the TV is, is a really easy way to occupy them while we as parents and carers get other things done. But, you know, that's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about is the importance of maintaining learning and us having a role in that learning process while we've got our children at home. And that doesn't mean we've got to be on our children's cases all of the time. That is about allowing some time for us to step back as, as parents too. And I'll come on to that, uh, onto that aspect shortly. I think one of the things this is, find the silver lining, project-based work is, a re- is be really good because schools often have a theme for a half term. So generally it means children would have a rough idea of what they're going to be working for. So projects can be, for some children, be really engaging. Mm. If you find that interest in the child and you basically, we're going to do this. And it kind of knows, means the next day they've roughly got an idea of what's going to be happening. Yeah, They can be looking forward to it the engagement is there so it's finding out okay what is it we can do over the next however many weeks that actually will engage them and within that one theme you can do lots of other stuff it doesn't have to be isolated english work isolated maths work it's where does this take us what are we learning it's that child the child is leading their learning yeah and and within that you can build in plenty of opportunities for choice so again to think about structure because often for children with additional learning needs uh, enjoy and respond more positively and favourably to having the provision of a more structured and ordered sense of how they learn and the arrangements that we make for them both in class and at home. So whilst it's helpful to provide structure to our children with additional needs, it's also important to give them choices. So that's bringing in a sense of uh, an essence of that flexibility that things can change. So a great way of doing that is to is to introduce the option of, say, a choice board. So you could provide nine different activities for the same topic uh, and support some underlying sort of skill building practice, which we might call more academic learning, but also building opportunities for choice. So, again, we're facilitating children leading in their learning, as you've described, uh, but doing that within the confines of maybe a particular topic area or an area of interest. This is where it starts getting hard because this does take time. Mm. So, and this is the thing that I know some parents still are still working. They might both be at home, which means they are with their children, but they've still got jobs. Mm. And I, I think people need to talk to their employers and explain the situation at home, hoping the workload has reduced for people, so the stress and the pressure isn't there, mm. not in a uh, economic kind of way, but hopefully parents are given more time to spend with their children employers are a bit more considerate and listening because you can't just sit your child down at nine o'clock in the morning and then do your work till 5 p.m this will take time which means 
you've got to go in there with patience. Yeah. You can't just rush in, drop it. Was it a helicopter? Mm. Drop in, do it, disappear. Mm. You've got to be there. And it's finding out how you can do that with your work arrangements as well, uh, especially for those where you've got someone who has special needs, but their parent is a teacher and has all that. So it's, it's, it's all balancing everything. Yeah. Yeah, um, but yeah. it's making sure you're giving it all the right amount of time. Yeah, and also getting that mix in place. We've talked earlier about the focus on more academic or, or skill-based learning and sk- skill acquisition. We've also got to remember we've got to get our kids moving up and moving. Um, and we know that kids need movement in order to learn and thrive. So, um, you know, we, we've, we've got to not depreciate the power of play and any unscheduled sort of downtime, if you like, for our children and young people. So it's always great, you know, there's a reason why we have break times at certain times in our school day. Um, we have um, usually have a break time before children eat, and that's linked to actually generating appetite uh, and to burning off calories so that we can actually refill ourselves uh, with food and calories so that we can go again in the afternoon and that our brains are being powered by the food that we're taking in. And also, it's really important that kids have opportunities for unstructured play, that they have time without us, you know, doing stuff for them. And, and I'm a great believer that, um, you know, we are the biggest culprits on this earth, parents and carers, of continuing to um, sustain this sort of learnt helplessness culture in in our children you know we i mean we we hear the term what is it snowflake generation or wrapped up in cotton wool and and i think as a parent of a young person with additional needs who is now in full time employment you know is 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 a relatively independently young man independent young man has aspirations hopefully uh, to leave home one day uh, and to to live an independent life that wasn't even on our radar when he was three or four years old. So, you know, we need to ensure that we've got some time in our children's lives whilst they're at home with us now, that we we, we are hands off in our parenting too, where it's safe to do so. So it's about making sure that, that we understand the benefits of that more unstructured time uh, and giving our kids some breaks, some learning breaks. And it's, it's a, there's a whole conversation around that, like the arousal of actually no stimulus, actually yeah. just giving them time off with no stimulus uh, and just to relax, find themselves, find what they – there's lots of things around that. Absolutely, yeah. And and never underst- un- uh, underestimate the power of rest, you know, because actually our kids don't get an awful lot of rest during their learning days. Uh, and And many of our children that we identify as having – additional needs require rest breaks, require rests from learning. And I'm not talking about going out, going away and having a lie down. I'm talking about having those moments where they can have a break from their learning activity, get up, move about, and then return. And free choice, you know, we talk about free choice. Free choice isn't just simply about unstructured play. It's also about exercising free choice in what they're choosing to read, what they're choosing to watch, what they're choosing to eat, say, for a snack. Um, so, so there's lots of opportunities where we can use these principles of promoting independence through our children's learning um, in, in a much broader sense uh, so that we can inspire and influence uh, some really healthy 
um, uh, decisions to be made by our by our children and young people. I'm just going to talk about how tiring school is. Mm. I think I think you forget how tiring school is when you grow up. And so my daughter's got one of those uh, pedometers things. How many steps she does mm. each day? And she does a lot of steps yeah. going around school. There's a lot of learning. Her brain's tired. Her body's tired. She's now kind of at home in a more relaxed environment. She's not doing all those steps on the way to school or walking around school. So we're, we're having exercise. Yeah. But for some children, they're going to have a lot more energy and they could be a bit like a uh, bull in a china shop. So it's you again, when, when the behaviors might not be what you want, it's are their energy levels much higher than they usually are at this time of day? And do you need some way of reducing those energy levels it's it's all it goes back to you again you saying right at the beginning you know your children yeah yeah well well i mean a lot of the online uh, reviews of how parents are uh, managing and meeting the challenge of of educating their children at home during this particular uh, time in history is that many many kids are accessing the joe wicks uh, physical workout program from about nine yep. o'clock to nine thirty in the afternoon uh, in the morning sorry and um, and there's a reason for that. There's a reason for that, that we're getting kids ready for learning. So we're trying to burn off a bit of excess energy, a bit of excitement. Uh, we're trying to get children ready. So we're trying to get that level of arousal up, um, but not so high that actually learning becomes um, inefficient or not accessible. So, so timing of these learning opportunities is also important. And parents are really well placed to understand how best to do that with their children. So when is a good time to, um, to introduce physical activity? Is it good to start that after breakfast, you know, first thing in the morning? Or would it be preferable that we actually have a reading time session in the morning? And then actually we look at doing some physical, uh, physical activity after lunch. You know, I know myself, if, you know, if I have lunch, then I, I become very, very sluggish in the afternoon. So that definitely affects my ability to learn, pay attention, focus. So, But also know not everybody's like me. So we've got to be um, quite adaptive to how different members of our family will respond in those circumstances. Uh, but I, I'm telling you now, I guarantee that every single parent of every child that has been identified as having a special educational need and or disability will know when those moments occur in their child's yeah. day at home because they will intuitively pick up on the signals that their child is providing for them. You intuitively know when your child is tired. You intuitively know when your child is hungry. You intuitively intuitively know when your child has perhaps had enough uh, and that their they're, they're awake sort of alert state for learning uh, is starting to wane. So, again, you'll be able to shift... The, uh, and design that level of personalised support for your child according to the signals uh, that, that your children are, are providing you at home. One thing I will add on that, there is uh, could be an element when thinking of yourself, your own, how busy you are, your own stress, your anxieties, that there is a chance you may miss some of these signals at yeah, the yeah. moment. Yeah, Because you, you know your children, and on the best day, you'll get all of this perfect. Mm. But right now... You might not be getting it right. With so much going on, you might miss a few of these signals. So when, again, just taking that moment. Well, perfect doesn't exist in my world, Dale. You know, no. perfect. You know, perfect parenting simply is an anathema, really, uh, to me, and I think to millions of other 
parents across the world too. Uh, but what I do know is that actually as a parent, as an educator, you know, whilst it might be challenging for our students and learners to focus on their learning when they approach classroom activities, typical sort of classroom learning activities and tasks, and that largely might be to do with mindset. So, um, so moments of frustration and defeat, you know, um, it's really important for us to provide our children with the strategies to support them to redirect their thinking. And there's always been a really heavy emphasis on um, the outcome, the final product in the learning process for for our children uh, more generally. And, and I think students and learners often feel that if something is hard, if something's really difficult or they don't get it right away, then they simply can't learn it. OK, and that strategy, you know, only encourages students to give up. You know, when it starts to get a bit messy or when they start to experience a bit of failure or or their interest or learning starts to tail off. And, uh, you know, instead of I'm, I'm simply, you know, I'm just no good at this. You know, our job as parents and carers is to really inspire our kids by saying, OK, what might you be missing here? You know, so instead of, you know, I give up, I can't do this. You know, we need to think about some of the strategies that we as parents, carers and children have learned together to overcome challenges. So do you remember when, when when we thought such and such was really hard? Okay. And and we've got to prompt our children with ways and means of practicing tasks, which may take them some time and effort, which may require chunking, yeah, which is simply breaking a task down into smaller, doable chunks, which immediately makes them feel much more manageable, not only to our children, but also to us as the parent as well, because you know, inspiring our children with confidence in their learning is what matters most at this time. Um, so it's our job to encourage and to support our child. I don't want any parent listening to this to think that if they do not deliver on those final products that schools are asking for by way of outcome of tasks that have been set, work, worksheets that have been sent or modules that have been written uh, online for, for children and parents to access, um, then actually this is not what true learning and education is all about. You know, your job is about supporting the process of learning and encouraging our children to get as far into that process and, you know, getting through the other side, yes, and yes, de delivering on the product, on the outcome. But actually it's going to be a bit messy. It's going to be a bit difficult sometimes. And what we do know about children with additional needs is that their ability and their tolerance, really, of um, their, the number of attempts that they might make to tackle difficult tasks will differ quite significantly. And that's often drawn on the fact that they've had uh, past experience of where they, they've had simply low expectations of their ability. And, and, you know, you offer or present low expectations to kids. What do they do? They meet them, you know? Yeah. So if we start gradually and incrementally to sort of um, increase our level of expectation over time, then kids, all kids, but particularly kids with additional uh, learning needs, if they're inspired with the confidence that we know that they need in their learning, they rise to the challenge. They rise and actually go way, way beyond it. So we've got to appreciate the effort that our kids are making no matter what. We've got to encourage them to practice, 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 to build competence. So we've got to encourage 
our kids to practice in whatever they're interested in, you know, but to do that in a way that doesn't overly pressurize them to perform well, to actually deliver on the product. We've got to let them figure out problems by themselves. So we talked about problem solving opportunities earlier. If we do all the hard work for our kids, then they're never going to develop the abilities or the confidence to figure out the problems on their own, are they? And I don't want, I don't want a, a 35-year-old, a 40-year-old 40, child of mine who is still reliant on me when I'm in my 80s, in my dotage, who are asking me to, you know, for support about figuring out, figuring out the problems for them in their lives. You know, I, I would hope um, that all of us as parents are really designed intuitively to nurture our kids to become increasingly independent over time. So in a way, this, this time at home with our children is a great opportunity to start that approach, to actually introduce that culture of, of enabling and maybe uh, not disabling. So you mentioned earlier, you had an exciting example of what a day would look like. Yes, yeah. Have we covered that or is there a bit more you want to go into? Yeah, well, we, could, we can talk a little bit more about that. So let me sort of give you an example, really. You know, if we're going to have a, a sort of a daily task sort of uh, checklist approach to, to this, then we, in a way, we're holding our, our children, if you like, to more to account for the work that they're doing. Um, that's either been set by school or or their um, their education provider. So so in a way, this daily task sort of check checking out process um, does promote children to become much more independent because this is by way of a bit of a tool for them to show how successful they've been and provides them with an opportunity to for us as parents to hold them to account for 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 the shared expectation that this is the task that's been set. This is the task that you're being asked to complete. How far did you get with this? If you completed it, how well how well did it go? So there's a, a, a two-way street here. There's the provision of a timetable or a schedule, as we as we referred to it earlier. Uh, but there's also the provision of, of this sort of daily task list, if you like, um, that uh, we can provide. So typically, what your sort of home learning schedule might look like is that, you know, before nine o'clock, kids are getting up um we're we're enabling our kids to get ready get dressed make their own beds eat breakfast help to prepare breakfast that sort of thing and then from nine o'clock onwards we're setting our intentions and our plan for the day and if you remember right at the beginning of this conversation we talked about the fact that plans will be subject to to review and to change so that you're going to tweak them so it's not about having a a timetable that's fixed for the week it's about, you know, making sure you've got some flexibility within it. So it might be from nine till, uh, so from 10 o'clock in the morning, it might be that there is a, a screen-free period of learning time. So there's access to no devices. Uh, and actually, the focus might be on talk um, and listening. Um, but I think throughout the day, it's really important for us to check out how our kids are feeling about stuff. You know, I know that you had my good friend and colleague, uh, Lorraine Peterson, talking about um, mental health and emotional well-being needs of, of children who are now being educated at home by parents and carers. Um, having a check-in on feelings throughout the day is not just really good practice for our children. It's really good practice for us, too, as parents and carers, because this is going to feel a bit strange. It's going to feel quite different. So it's about checking out with our kids and saying, how do you think it's going? You know, what do you think went well this morning? 
uh, and maybe doing that over lunch or before lunch, getting moving. So, you know, around about midday, maybe having a part of the day where that has a real physical focus. So whatever that looks like, so whether that's around uh, implementing the passive physiotherapy program for our pupils with more complex needs, whether it's about, you know, getting moving outside, inside, maybe it's uh, uh, circuit training. I've, I've heard of uh, families and children that have set up some really inventive ways and means of getting moving within the house uh, or their flat, um, and then getting down to lunch and actually making sure that lunch can be part of that learning process too. So an opportunity to practice social communication skills, uh, preparation of lunch is part of that learning schedule as well. And then after lunch, maybe having a bit of downtime and a bit of rest that we talked about earlier. So having some breaks away. And then in the afternoon, introducing that element of sort of free choice. So um, a free choice of reading, viewing, uh, what snack they're going to prepare and eat, and then maybe getting moving again. You know, we do know that under the, the current coronavirus advice for, for families is that we know that we can move around as a household and we can leave our homes once a day. So maybe the get, getting moving bit is at three o'clock in the afternoon where we can go out together as a, as a small group, we can go out and get some fresh air, go to the local park, et cetera, uh, providing we're practicing all the um, appropriate physical social distancing uh, advice that government uh, currently uh, provides. And then coming back together, I think, as a family and reflecting on our day is important. This isn't about spending hours doing this stuff. This is about actually giving everybody in the family that's been engaged in the home learning sort of plan, if you like, the, the timetable, the schedule, an opportunity to reflect and say what's gone well and maybe what's, you know, not gone as well as we would have liked and some of the things that we might do differently tomorrow. And then enjoying a family meal together. Really important that we all, you know, end our day, our learning day, uh, by staying well connected as a, as a family unit. So that more or less gives you an idea of how the day could be planned. So that hopefully gives you and listeners um, an idea of the focus perhaps being slightly more academ academically driven in the morning as opposed to the afternoon. It might be that you need to flip it for some children. But again, as parents, you know your children best and you will know how to get the best from them in that regard. And you did mention lots of different skills. You had the listening and talking. Mm. And sometimes even though your school might have set a worksheet, if you can read through that, get, okay, so we're talking about this subject, we're talking about that. You don't necessarily have to do it as written work. You can have it as conversation. You can talk about it rather than actually doing the worksheet. And you mentioned the preparing foods. There's a lot of motor skills, coordination. There's lots of social, it's a huge amount of skills you can sort of work on and support without actually sitting down and doing an education activity. Yeah, that's right. And it, and it's about, I think what we need to remember as, as educators generally, parents, carers, teachers, support staff, as educators, we need to understand that every child and young person will have an interest, at least one interest, or hopefully a range of different interests. So starting with your child's interest is a, an absolute guaranteed way of your in as a parent and carer into enabling your child or young person to learn effectively at home. 
So you talked about a project. So maybe one of the approaches is to use that particular area of interest to, you know, to be the, the topic if we're not following a topic or school aren't providing topics uh, to follow. So having an opportunity, and that might be, for example, through uh, taking photographs, it might be through looking at colours, and it might be that on our, you know, family walk at three o'clock in the afternoon, we're going to take photographs of, of everything that's coloured yellow, uh, because yellow is the colour this week that we're focusing on. Um, so, so it's about theming and following that theme through your day and seeing how you can start to use your schedule to, uh, to provide some hooks for learning uh, and using your child's particular interest or uh, special interests would be an absolute guaranteed win to, uh, to inspire children in their learning. One thing I should mention is uh, in this time where we could all be at home for uh, a very long time, I think it's important to remember weekends are weekends. Absolutely. So um, in our house during the week, we have a you'll be ready by half mm. eight during the mm. week. I don't care at the weekend. Mm. Mm. It's making sure you have got relaxation time. There is no learning at weekends. I've, I'm still working. I've still got lots of work. Um, I'm coming into an office with no one else here. Mm. So I'm still doing that. But weekend is family time. Yeah. And I'm, I'm making sure it's different. Otherwise, 50 days can just merge into a very long, dreary time. You've got to make sure you've got those weekends. Yeah, and long and dreary times don't do any of us any good, do they? You know, I mean, no. just even saying the words long and dreary time, um, you know, I hear the tone of your voice change. I hear the tone of my voice change as I repeat it. And and actually, it conjures up all sorts of not necessarily brilliantly positive images in my mind. So it's really important that we demark the weekends from our working weeks, our working learning weeks. Um, and that will also keep us focused as parent supporters of our children's learning. It will keep our kids focused and productive and positive about their learning during the week. So, you know, I think that's really important. I think it's important. So normally at weekends, you could go to cinema. There's lots of things you could have done. So it's, okay, at home, how can you re replicate or replace it? How can you still do something like that? Mm -hmm. I know I think uh, Netflix and other films which were coming out in the cinema, you can now rent. Yes, yes, So I you understand. can still see the latest yeah. pieces. So it's actually at the weekend, we used to do this. How can we do that now? So, again, kids have got something to look forward to. Mm. Um, it's not just another day at home. It's something good to look forward to. Yeah. I mean, I, I've heard of lots of different initiatives, Dale. So dress, uh, what's it, Smart Saturday, so where family members are, are you know, smartening themselves up for, for a meal or dinner or um, are on a Saturday. Um, they're making slightly more effort than perhaps I would make, you know, on, on at the weekend. Uh, but that, but, but, but it's finding those little ways and means, isn't it, that's going to inspire yeah us to actually keep managing these challenging circumstances so for me providing it's safe to do so and that everybody's on board with that you know within the home then go for it you know absolutely go for it dale i just want to mention a particular organization which is a charity it's called beyond words it's a charity that provides books and training to support people who find pictures easier to understand than words um, and, and I think that's, you know, particularly um, relevant to what we're talking about today. 
whether supporting somebody with a learning disability or a communication difficulty, the resources at Beyond Words really empower people through pictures. And they've produced a a really fantastic free-to-download publication available to everybody called Beating the Virus. And it's a short, wordless story that will help people um, to understand what to do if you have coronavirus and how to keep yourself and those who you care about safe. So it it talks about how to safely help others who may be uh, self-isolating. So brilliant bit of supplementary text at the end of this story, which gives information on where people can seek help if they're unwell and signposts to other useful resources too. But that's not just the only resource that they provide. There's a whole host of uh, wordless stories um, that are phenomenal. And I've recently used one with a young adult uh, lady with uh, learning disabilities about going to church um, and the phenomenal story about uh, Kate going to church. So again, think about some of the resources that are available. I will be, make sure that the, the web link is available after this uh, this podcast goes out. And I know you'll be making all the resources that I've mentioned available, the links for those available as well. That's all going to go in the show notes. So it'll right. be available for everyone. Brilliant. So we talked about a lot about the sort of things to do at home, but we've also got to think about the support they would have received in school throughout yeah. the week or throughout yeah. the term and how that might look like now. And I think you've got to balance up. Is it a priority? What is the risk? Uh, there's lots of things to balance up, which is going to be on an individual case-by-case basis, isn't it? It is. And, and certainly the current sort of COVID-19 guidance for schools, uh, settings and colleges uh, will include those children, young people with an education, health and care plan as part of the, um, the vulnerable groups uh, listing uh, for schools, settings and colleges to provide um, support for, ongoing support for. So, for example, the school where I'm, I'm chair of governors, they, they have provision available. It's for a limited number of children and families, but it does include our children with education, health and care plans. Within that particular cohort of children, there are parents who have said, no, actually, we don't want to access that, but they still require support from us as a school. So um, so for every child within our vulnerable um, uh, pupils list, um, there is a named key worker. So, um, so support staff are being used in a slightly different way. Um, and where possible, you know, support staff will be supporting at home and will be visiting children at home where it's safe to do so. Um, but I do think there's a lack of advice more generally across all local areas where um, you know, as some support staff may not be working with children in school, um, the considerations about how we mobilise that component of the workforce, you know, obviously with appropriate safeguards in place to work with families and to support uh, children at home needs to be considered because the that whole aspect of personal support workforce has been completely compromised by, by the COVID-19 uh, um, uh, arrangements. So, Having a named key worker, I think, should be a clear expectation of all parents uh, on behalf of their children and should be uh, a key service that all uh, schools should or education providers should be delivering on. So one of the things you mentioned earlier, I think, with your daughter was Zoom. Mm. If you haven't heard of Zoom, Zoom is an online meeting software. Lots of companies do it if you 
attended a B squared webinar um, until this year. We used to use Zoom as our um, webinar system. If you've had an online meeting with me or John at B squared, we use Zoom to handle most of those meetings. It's great. It's, it does lots of stuff for you. And it's video conferencing, so you get to see each other. Mm. So what's great about Zoom is there is a free account. So you can get Zoom completely for free as long as your meetings don't go over 45 minutes. That's right. Um, so that means schools can start using it, but I will just bring in the uh, dirty word of GDPR. Yes. Uh, knowing where your data is and things like that. So don't just dive in and start using it to talk to your head and make sure um, – in theory, with Zoom, you're not having to put anything in, but make sure you're not recording stuff and it's going up to their servers. There's lots of things around that, just to be sure. But it is a great way, because I think having a phone call is one thing, but I think there is something for the teachers seeing the child and the child mm. seeing the teachers. Mm. It's a familiar face, mm. and there's a whole conversation that child might have around, I've missed you, and telling them all the stuff they've been up to. Um, and I think I know of schools where um, they're having weekly Zoom meetings mm. with each child. Mm. Um, I think that's really good and engaging. Mm. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think as well, remember that applications like Zoom can be used from a family perspective as well. So it's about, you know, um, navigating that that technological sort of landscape that families won't necessarily have uh, known or, or applied before within their family circumstances, but using that in a way which actually brings other family members in. Yeah. So, you know, we talked about, I gave you the example of a, of a quiz night via Zoom. Um, that means that people are operating in virtual teams. Uh, and it's a bit like, you know, to all intents and purposes, rocking up at your local social club or your local pub and, and attending a quiz night with that environment. But actually you're doing it within the safety and space of your own home. Uh, but you have all the other teams visually uh, available to you and obviously all the shenanigans no doubt that goes with that too so so it's about using um, technology in a way that keeps connections alive and kicking uh, and and more importantly provides that ongoing meaning um, to the aspect of school life when school is very clearly absent from our children's lives at this particular time so certain services can use zoom to support the students yep but obviously, you can't really do much physio through a Zoom <laughs> meeting. So there are going to be some services where it does require face-to-face. Um, -face, it does require in-person. Yeah. And again, that has got to be a whole load of risk assessments around the safeguarding, um, spreading COVID-19. There's lots of things you've got to take into consideration around that. That's right. Yeah, that's right. And where online screening services such as Zoom and the like um, do come to mind is that it's actually a really powerful tool to teach parents and carers. So, um, so if we are talking about hands-on, you know, passive physiotherapy programs, et cetera, et cetera, parents will know how to do that anyway. They'll have been doing that anyway, you know, at the weekends, first thing in the morning, last thing at night, and when children haven't been able to get into school in the past. So this isn't about, you know, um, teaching parents new ways of working. This is simply about um, almost being part of the ongoing uh, assessment uh, service that, say, a physiotherapist may want to see the progress that a child is making or review their, their physical skills uh, and their physical health. Uh, and that can be done, you know, via Zoom. Um, so, and parents can lead on that with their children. Um, so don't think that this is just simply um, because we can't get direct hands-on 
parents will be often the only and prime medium to uh, to enable services to be delivered. Uh, and that won't be a new landscape, Dale, for the vast majority of parents. They've been doing that for years. Um, and just to mention with Zoom, you can use it on a computer and Mac. There are uh, apps for phones and iPads and Android. So generally, as long as you, that device can get on the internet, you can use Zoom on it. And of course, other meeting softwares are available. Yes, that's right. Yes. <laughs> So I think we've covered lots of things and it all comes down to, I think, as you goes back to this whole right beginning, you know your children. So therefore you will know what the priorities are for your children. It might mean actually academic staff, educational staff kind of going out the window and actually what you're looking to spending a week or so is that mental health, talking about where we are now, um, what this means. There's a whole world around that, that actually before you actually start setting that, as a parent, you will know what's going to be the right thing for your child when's the right time to do all these things rather than just diving in and following. I also think that um, some schools are in a position where they're setting out work to get us to Easter. Mm. So they're kind of just throwing stuff out. It's almost like this will continue learning till Easter mm. and then we'll be back. I, re- I, I can't see us being back till Easter. I see us uh, September or beyond not sure there's so many things you hear and i don't know which one to believe but i also think that schools over the next few weeks are going to start really thinking about the wider picture how they interact that learning better and i think at the moment we're kind of in a um this will do the um rush this out let's get supported and then i think all schools i think everyone's going to be getting better at this we're all going to find better ways of doing it ways which work the Zoom meetings might feel awkward at first, and then a couple of weeks later, it will all be like second nature. We've got this. It's, it will all start getting a lot easier and smoother. Yeah, but I mean, also, Dale, credit where credit's due. You know, our, our school leaders, our teachers, our support staff, um, our administrative staff, our site service officer staff across the whole school landscape, um, they had, in reality, 48 hours to implement the government's guidance. Now, you know, it, it was a phenomenal ask, but actually, nevertheless, a task that was taken on board by the sector and led well, managed well, and the outcome is determined by the fact that our amazing parental family community um, across this nation responded in exactly the right way by heeding the advice and guidance and not turning up to school on Monday morning. Um, So that's how we determined how successful we were in implementing the government's guidance. And I think it's to be expected that in this first week, and we are talking about the first week of implementing uh, school closure arrangements, uh, schools have done an enormous amount of work in a relatively short period of time on fairly scant resource levels because Obviously, we've had staff that have uh, that have been affected by the virus either through self isolation or or through diagnosis. So, so consequently, our key resource in our sector, in our school sector, our staff have been affected by the virus and will continue to be affected by the virus. So, so during extremely challenging times, we are now talking about today, you and I about the ambitions of um, how education continues, um, but doesn't continue at school. 
and the opportunities that that parents have and and are already um, implementing their magnificent ways in which they support their children and do it so brilliantly. I think what parents need more than ever is not exactly permission or consent to say, do what you know, do what you know is the priority uh, for your child. It's about taking the advice and guidance from school and where children with additional needs are concerned. It's not about minimizing the educational opportunity. It's about actually maximizing what the home-based learning experience can actually provide to them, which is why that that scheduled sort of timetabled approach to your day will perhaps give you an opportunity to highlight certain aspects of your child's learning and their lives that you really want to foster a greater level of skill uh, in or a greater level of experience um, in too. I think, yeah, it is. we are at the end of that first week and it feels like a really, really long it week. It does, yeah. Um, it's, it's phenomenal. And they actually, when you, when you sit there and think about that one week everyone's in schools and there might be a chance to that's it, it's all changed. Mm. Um, the amount of work that's been put in, and it's not always just uh, in secondary schools, you can, it's, it's easier, it's various things, but primary schools, there's it's huge amounts of work. Mm. And when you get into the SEND area, mm. it's just phenomenal. Mm. Um, and the amount of work, the amount of resources, the amount of effort, the cooperation, it was, it's phenomenal. Just, I, I've spent, I'm not a Twitter person, mm. I, but I've just been on Twitter every day just looking at the mm. conversations. And there have been times where people are unsure and things like that. But the message, what I think I've liked is it's been very consistent messages from every angle. Yeah. Not people vying for politicalness. It's I've loved the fact that everyone has been really together yeah. saying the same message, whatever angle it's 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 been brilliant mm. and the work has been phenomenal. Uh, the support from the parents. It's been great and yeah. it's going to continue. Yeah. That's what I love about it, it, it And it will continue and it will, there will be times where it will feel more challenging, not least for our children and young people, but consequently also for parents and carers too. And and I think what's particularly important and hopefully the mess, one of the key messages of this podcast is that is to know that you're not on your own uh, and that your immediate community is aligned to your child's school but actually, there is a whole wealth of community out there, not least through B Squared, through people like me and folks like Lorraine Peterson, but also, you know, within the wider circle of your friends, family and um, all the community agencies that you would access. They still exist. They might be operating very, very differently. Some of them might well have closed down because there simply aren't the staff to, to run them. But that won't be forever. So, so there will still be opportunities to uh, make the calls to people if you're looking for further help or some practical strategies to ensure that your children maintain a well-supported uh, learning experience at home. Uh, whatever that looks like, um, use your networks and use them well. I've seen, I think, messages saying, although you're physically isolated, you're not alone. Yeah, you're not. Um, no. And I know my mum always talked about back in my day, you always used to meet up and you knew your neighbours and yeah. all this lot. And she says there's no such thing as community. Mm. There is huge community. Yeah. It just, a lot of it is online. Mm. And actually the people in your community could be on the other side of the world, but yeah. you've got an interest, there's something. Mm. 
and it's making use of those. It's reaching out to people. Just drop someone a friendly message. Yeah. You have no idea what their position is, where they are, or anything. And actually, what might come back is somebody in the exact same boat as you feeling. And you've got a conversation. And by the end of that, a problem shared is a problem halved and all that sort of stuff. But it is, we've got to talk to people. Yeah, we have. Yeah, we have. We have. And, and uh, I mean, one of the things that I've in- introduced uh, on a personal level within it, our family life is, you know, talking about the one thing that we can do good today. Um, so getting up in the morning and being really clear about, you know, what good we're going to do um, and whether that's, you know, walking up our road to go and, uh, you know, knock on a neighbor's door to check how they are, whether it's actually nipping out to get some supplies you know, within the the guidance available to deliver to neighbours that are in need, you know, or maintaining uh, Facebook contact to a 90-year-old mother, um, you know, who has been taught how to use um, uh, FaceTime in the last week. So it is true. You can teach, truly teach an old dog new tricks these days. Uh, so, um, so, so it's about focusing on, you know, the, the impact of our own influence and that, that that's really important to model to our kids at these times because, you know, life is difficult. Life is a challenge at the best of times without us feeling as though we're operating under lockdown. It is. It says, although we're not touching each other, is you can touch other people. Mm. Just those gestures, a few words, it can make a big difference. Mm. Looking ahead, I think some of the stuff we're changing to over this year, um, some of that won't go away you'll get into the habit of doing things and you'll realise that they will stay and some of the stuff we used to do will disappear. It's going to change us yeah. in ways at the moment we can't comprehend, we can't think of. The bit you think will stay with the bit that disappears and the bit you had no idea you did, that's the bit that will stay. Yeah. So it's yeah. going to be a challenging time. So before I say the words, thank you for coming on the show today, Jane. Is there any other anything else you want to share around this and these times and supporting sort of families? I think, you know, the, the the key message that I want to provide here through the podcast is that, you know, you need support as, as a family. You need support possibly when your child was at school to a lesser or greater extent. The fact that school has closed hasn't necessarily changed your requirements for support. It's just how you're going to access it may be different. Um, and that, primarily that will be delivered still through your school, through your child's school. Um, so school is still the coordinator. You know, this, the the Senko in the school will still be coordinating the provision and it may be limited at this time for obvious reasons, but there will still be a responsibility on schools to uh, make the provision as far as is possible for your child to um, to, to enable them to, to learn um, within the confines of their own home alongside siblings, with you as parents and carers being their main educators. And I have no doubt that, that, you know, parents will rise to this challenge, are rising to this challenge, but just apply some balance to that. You know, this is about parents not replacing teachers. This is about using your um, phenomenal levels of skill in knowing your children really, really well and being the best educators uh, you can possibly be, which, of course, is what you do on a day-to-day basis and have been doing for your entire, um, the entire lifetime of your child or children. 
So um, my best wishes to everybody. Stay safe, stay well, and stay indoors, please. Thank you for coming on the show today. Um, for me, uh, for some people, this information, none of it's new. But hopefully, as you've listened to this, it's just given you that time to think about it all. And you kind of knew it all already, but actually, just by listening to this, you've actually sat there and thought about, okay, how does this look like for us? How can I change things? Am I doing it? Just am I got the right balance? Um, so I'll be putting to the links. The few, Jane's mentioned a few links. She's also told me she's got a sheet full of other links and resources to share. So I'll be putting those in the show notes. I'll also be sharing Jane's contact details, and you can find the show notes on our website, www.thesendcast.com. So thanks for listening to the show. If you haven't subscribed already, you can subscribe by going to our website, www.thesendcast.com. You can also sign up for our newsletter to keep up to date or with the latest news. Alternatively, you can follow us on all different social media platforms. So we're on Twitter, at The Sendcast. On Facebook, we are The Sendcast. On Instagram, we are The Sendcast. But if you go to LinkedIn, just search for Sendcast and you will find us. Um, if you want to get in touch, let us know your thoughts, suggest topics or anything else, please send an email to hello at thesendcast.com. And if you have enjoyed the Sendcast, um, we also run a virtual Send conference. So this is a conference which, uh, instead of being accessed uh, in a physical location, which basically none of these are now happening for a very long time, uh, the virtual Send conference is accessed across the internet. So we've been running them now for uh, two years. So we've got our third one coming up from when we're recording at the end of this week. Um, and we will be shortly um, running a conference for parents of pupils or children with SEM. So the conference, the main conference runs twice a year. The plan for the parental conference so far is to run it once a year, but depending on popularity, that may change. Um, and the conference has 12 sessions in. So like a normal conference, we have keynotes in the morning uh, and we have three streams in the afternoon and you can choose which sessions you want. But unlike a normal conference, you won't miss the sessions you're not attending. You will get every single session as a video after the event, so you can watch every session, which makes it highly um, useful because some of the stuff you're watching live, other stuff you can miss out. And if you can't attend the event live, you can watch in the evenings or whenever you find the time. So there's lots of things which make it cheaper for us. We're not hiring out a hotel. We're not having an army of staff shepherding everyone around. Uh, which makes savings a lot of money. So that means the conference, the savings we make, we pass on to you. So for the school's conferences, it costs £60 for the entire school. And what's great about that is it's not just the Senko receiving the training, it's the whole school can receive the training, uh, which makes it really, really good value. And as a listener to the Sendcast, we're offering you a 10% discount just by using the code SENDCAST10. Um, in terms of the parents' conference, we're still not sure on the pricing. This could be a very different thing, so we are working that out. But if you are interested in either of the conferences or any of our previous conferences, because you can still buy access, you can just go to www.virtualsendconference.com. So thank you for listening uh, to this podcast. We will be back with another episode of The Sendcast. So goodbye from me. And goodbye from me, Dale.